so I mean, it's Christmas. It's it's the day after Christmas, I guess, when people are listening to this. Yes, it is. Everyone is exhausted and maybe still full. And like all they want to do is what? Hear us talk in their ear holes? Well, maybe they're tired of reading all the books they got as gifts. It's true. Well, maybe they got IED as gifts. That would be amazing. If I had never read these books and I had this podcast to listen to, I would absolutely have asked Santa for all the IED books. Okay, Sarah, let me ask you a question. Do people give you gifts that are books? No. Me neither. No, they're too afraid. <laughs> and I feel like it's such low-hanging fruit. Like, what? <laughs> Get me a book, everybody. I'm no. A, I'm easy. <laughs> so every once in a while, so, so like if there's a, if there's like a art book or something, if there's an artist I'm interested in, or if we've gone to some show in New York and there's a book related to it, sometimes Eric will edge into giving me a book. Right. There you go. So I'm a little bit of obsessed, and this will come as absolutely no surprise to you, Jen, but I'm a little bit obsessed with Great British Bake Off. And um, I'm actually a terrible baker, but I like to watch, like, delightful English people bake. So I actually, you know, I don't like cooking. I do like baking. See? So maybe we are, in fact, faded mates. Faded mates. (laughs) So every season of Great British Bake Off, they do a, a pie you know, week where they have to make these like meat pies, these like traditional British meat pies. And I've been talking since I watched the last one where Paul Hollywood, the sort of dreamy silver fox host of Great British Bake Off, talks about hand raised pies, which are cooked literally. They build the pie without a without a um, a tin. So it's literally like they have to construct the pie crust to a point where then they fill it with meat and then bake it in the oven. And it sounds like incredibly difficult and also amazing. And I've been saying I wanted to do it for ages and ages. And it was actually just my birthday. And Eric (laughs) sent away to England to get me a hand-raised pie book. Oh, my God. And like, that's the kind of book I get. That's amazing. I'll tell you, I don't – my brother is a big reader, one of my brothers, and sometimes he'll get me books – um, but it's hard. Like, you've read a hard. lot of books. Sure. Certainly no one has ever bought me a romance novel as a gift. Yeah, right. You know, which is smart, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. I do get book gift certificates from kids. Yeah, that's nice. See, that's they know nice. you like reading. I do. I feel like you could probably get me a romance novel and hit it. Yeah. One correct. Like, you would be able to say, like, oh, sh- I know for a fact she's never read that person, and I know she would like this book. Yeah. Here, can I tell you, like, the most disappointing book gift I ever got? And I feel really petty saying this. Oh, boy. Is it a listener? <laughs> I, I don't We can't think afford so. to lose listeners. Jen. No, no. It's it's not a listener. It's It was a gift from a – it was a long, long time ago. So I feel safe saying this. And it was, like, a, a decorative book. Like, it was made out of wood. Like, you'd put it out – Like, the pages? No, or the cover? Like the whole item. Like, it was – Oh, it was not a book. It was not for reading. No. And I was, like – I don't understand this present. Was it a bookend? No, it was too light. I think it was like, I'm not actually sure what it was. I'm not rich and I didn't understand it. For people who don't have books in their house. Right. I was like, I don't understand the fake book. I like the real ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it was expensive. It came from like a fancy home store. You know, like people have like glass jars like full of like things. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. I do. Like, you know, or you like, go into some people's houses and there's like these like beautiful ob- objects. Mm-hmm. I think it was supposed to be something like that. Yeah. They expected you to have more like table space, clear table <laughs> space than was, you do. So I just put it on the bookshelf like it was a book. <laughs> nice. And I was like, fine. There. That's what it's doing, I guess. Oh, well. <laughs> When you die and they're going through your stuff, they're going to be like, what is this magic book? Maybe it has money in it or something. Maybe it's like a secret container book. You could put your weed in there. (laughs) Exactly. Now I'm going to go investigate Now you crack the code. Yes, there you go. Um, no, I we are we are not fancy in this house. And where I went with that is like, you know, when you go to Ikea and like... (laughs) The like TV is plastic. Yes. It looks like a TV, but it's very light and you could, you know, throw it at someone. Well, and I was like, it's Gatsby's book, right? Like, like, remember in The Great Gatsby, the whole thing, he has this beautiful library full of books, but none of the pages are cut open. Yes. I was like, this is what this is to me. It's like this beautiful object that's book-like, but like not a real book. Yeah. I got a book the uh, not long ago. Somebody gifted me. That makes me remember. Somebody gifted me. This beautiful French edition of Austin or Bronte, somebody, I don't know, it's in, it's here somewhere. Um, and the, ta- the pages were not cut. Wow. And I was like, this is amazing. That is amazing. But also, like, I want to look at this. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of person saves this? <laughs> That's actually awesome. I, like, had a, like, it was very hard to describe to, like, students why... Like, like what that even meant, like, right? Like how books are constructed. Well, because I mean, how they have, they've never sure. seen that. Of course. I've never seen it. No, that books. was the first time I think I'd ever seen it. Like when somebody gave me this book, I'll take pictures of it and send them. To yeah, me. that's super cool. Yeah. We'll put it in show notes. We'll put pictures of, of if I still have the wooden book in your book, we'll put pictures of our. <laughs> yeah, we will. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to dig it out between now and when I leave for <laughs> California. But yes, that is that I'll put it on my list. All right, Sarah. So tonight what we're up to is a, well, it's like an ask me anything, right? It is. We asked people on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter what what they would want us to to talk about. And we basically thought really cool questions. During like post-holiday sloth or pre-holiday sloth, like you might not want to spend an hour and 25 minutes talking about, you know, ghosts and feminism (laughs) and menstrual cycles. So we're going to save that for next week. And uh, we're going to give you just like some fun, some fun chats with Jen and Sarah. There you go. So, you know, it's funny. Okay. I, I think that what we're going to do, everybody, I think our plan is we're going to keep it to an hour. If we don't get to all the questions, we'll save them for later. We have questions that are kind of about us as readers. We have some very specific IAD questions and one about what kind of pie we like, which um, I actually didn't think I had thoughts, but boy, I have uh, I have a lot about my favorite kind of pie. <laughs> you I thought a lot about these. I have not prepared very well for this. So oh, no. I, you're, I, I'm, gonna, I'm like doing one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'm going to just hit me with it. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, just answer. I think, I think that, well, then let's start off with like one that's more like what kind of pie we like. Yeah, okay, let's start with what kind. You already talked about pie, actually. I did. Oh, I did. So, I mean, I do like a meat pie. I like a savory pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I like a pie in the hands of Silver Fox Paul Hollywood. But if we're talking about sweet pie, it's strawberry rhubarb or nothing. Interesting. Have you ever made strawberry rhubarb? I have. I make it anytime rhubarb is in season, which is late spring, early summer. 
I usually, in fact, probably right now, have a Ziploc bag full of rhubarb in my freezer. I really like oh. rhubarb. Well, you know, I, I, I don't. <laughs> and okay, I don't actually, actually consider sweet pies as baking because it does, it's, it's a little less like scientific. It is a little different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot more wiggle room. So here's what I realized. I have, um, I've lived a lot of places. So I grew up in Ohio. I went to college in Philadelphia. I moved to Houston when I did Teach for America. We lived in Seattle. We lived in Oakland. We lived in Seattle. And now we live in Chicago. So what I realized is in a lot of those places, I have favorite pie shops. So sweet pie shops. Yeah. So when I lived in Houston and I was like 22, um, there was a place in my neighborhood called the House of Pies. And it was open 24 hours a day. It was like a diner, like a real scummy diner. And they had amazing pie, though. And we would go like out and then like bar hop. And at three in the morning, we'd roll into the House of Pies and I would always order the French silk pie. It was delicious. Is that just custard? Pretty much. But it was like all whipped. Like, right? It was like really light. It was delicious. I do love a lemon meringue pie. I like mm. a curd, like yeah, a lemon curd or a... Yeah. And then <laughs> I was like, yeah, all the pies. I'm like having... We're having yeah, like a I mean, moment. I have to be honest. Like, if you gave me a choice between like pie and cake, I might choose... Like, I might always choose pie. Yeah. Um, unless the pie is pumpkin. I don't love a pumpkin pie. Mm. But um, so, yeah, I'm really... I'm like pro pie. Yeah, me too. Well, in Upper Michigan, there's a place near my uncle has like a condo we would go. There's a place called the Grand Traverse Pie Company, and their like fruit pies are amazing. And then here in Chicago, there's a place called Hoosier Mama. Nice. Indiana Hoosier. Very nice. And it's a pie place. And there's one in Evanston. And so when I go up to Northwestern to teach, I would sometimes stop and get some pie. I like that. In Brooklyn, I mean, since we're shouting out our favorite pie yeah. places, I didn't know like we had to Like we prepare. should. Why not? <laughs> um, but in Brooklyn, there's a place called Four and Twenty Blackbirds, mm. and they're terrific. That's a great name. And they make a salted honey pie that has become a Thanksgiving tradition for us. Well, see, there you go. We have a lot of pie feelings. There we go. We've just been, we've done three minutes on pies. <laughs> Fine. You know what? It's <laughs> Meanwhile, what's funny about this is yesterday, everyone probably had a lot of pie if you celebrate Christmas and you're like, stop talking about pie. Pause this episode. Go to the fridge. Get yourself a piece of pie. Come back and hang with us. Okay. And then tweet us and tell us what kind of pie you're eating while you listen to us. There you go. Okay. So um, I'm try- I'm like, look, if I- these are all such good questions. They are. Let's just really start. Into the questions. Let's just okay. dig in. Dig in. Okay. Do you have one or you want me to start? You start. Okay. So what is one book you both read, reread on a regular basis that's not IAD? And what is an author that's an auto buy for you? I feel like we've, I feel like we've done an interstitial where I've said this, I've said this answer and maybe it's not out. Charlotte Stein is an auto buy for me. Um, anything that she writes, I buy and I adore. Um, and so she's my answer to that. And a book that I – I have several sort of comfort reads. I feel like this question is about comfort yes. reads. Agreed. And I think – you know, I feel like we could do a whole episode on comfort reads at some point because I feel like there's something – I I feel like there's some sort of nuance to the comfort read that, like, I would really – I really want to dig in and talk about. For um, sure. So we've talked about uh, – uh, well um, – I mean, my two, I have two. One is Judith McNaught's A Kingdom of Dreams, um, which is a very old school 
uh, romance from the 90s that has um, a quote unlikable heroine who I didn't even know was such a I didn't even know that was such a thing um, back in the day when I discovered this book but I love her and she um, and it's a medieval I feel like there aren't enough medievals anymore and it's um, Judith McNaught just can like reach into your chest and like rip your heart right out of your chest and that's a real value to me I like to know and I like I like the roller coaster always like I like to feel like I'm gonna just be left broken and bleeding on the floor and then these two people are somehow going to be able to find their way out of the darkness into each other's arms and I'm gonna believe in the happily ever after and like there is something really remarkable about having a read that is that does that to you that breaks you um and then you come and then knits you back together in happiness and that's what that book does does oh yeah for sure um you know what's interesting? I okay. We should definitely do a comfort reads thing. I um, I think an auto buy author for me, um, God, I think it changes a lot, right? Like I feel like there are authors that kind of like I, I come and go, but I would say like an author for me right now that I'm like super into like whatever comes next actually is your girl Sophie Jordan. I just devoured her devil's rock series and then saw like as a reviewer like books come up on edelweiss or whatever and saw that her new one was there and was like me like sarah can see me like clicking um and i feel like right now i'm like and i i loved her holiday book in that anthology have you done her historicals yet a couple of them, but I have to like go back and do them. I picked up and read one, the one before, you know, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm terrible titles. Yeah. So whatever the one is she's writing right now, mm-hmm. the, like, okay, I'm terrible titles. So I'm not going to read one. the most recent one. The Duke buys a yes. bride. Yes. But you haven't read the older Sophie Jordan's. No, there's like an older series. I think I'm in the middle of reading maybe. Have you read Sins of a Wicked Duke where the heroine dresses as a footman and masquerades it? as a servant <laughs> in the duke's house i'm like no but i'm about to auto buy oh it. my god there's a bathtub yeah. scene in that book that is bananas yeah so she's like right now she's like really my jam but i really like her contemporaries and i me too like that's yeah i love contemporaries so you know, she also writes ya that's so interesting to me people who can do oh that. i mean sophie's right? been able to write she wrote when i first met sophie she was writing historicals contemporaries and paranormals i mean it's like I feel that you know I feel actually I'm not just a reviewer right I'm a huge reader sometimes I feel actively a little resentful of people who are that talented yeah same (laughs) imagine if you were a writer (laughs) I cannot actually um but a book you know it's funny I will say I'm a scene rereader more than a whole book rereader so I often when I reread am just rereading like favorite scenes which it's not going to surprise you at all sometimes there was it's when people grovel like you just have fucked it up majorly and I just want to read the pain and then like have this woman be like no thank you I reread that a lot but a book I reread from beginning to end is Dreaming of You by Lisa Claypot yeah that's my second one I said I had two that was my number two although I will say um I've read Sweet Ruin a whole lot yeah you sure have (laughs) so (laughs) um Cressley Sweet Ruin which we will get to in a million years when we yeah. get to well, it. Well, 
It, and if I will say, if you of the IAD books, I've reread the most probably Demon from the Dark, which is coming sooner. Than yes, it is coming sooner. All right, well, let's do an IAD question since we're okay, perfect. You know, talking about IAD questions. So the first question, I'm I'm just going to put this out of the way. We don't know Cressley. Um, so the, fir- the first ID- IAD question that we have on our spreadsheet is, how many more books does Cressley intend for the series? And our hope is forever more books. Um, and this person says, I'm on the most current one, and I need more answers. And we hear you, friend. Yeah. You yes. can come sit by us anytime. Um, I sometimes email with Cressley, and I still get a little, like, pitter patter in my heart when she replies and I literally spend every every time I email her I like have to delete the sentence where I'm like and can you please tell me what's happening next (laughs) yeah Um, what we do know is the next book is Monroe and we do know that it is coming and she is writing it I can yeah I think confirm that because she's told me an email and we're not friends like I said so I feel like that's probably public yeah um it's coming yeah so let's get in. Let's dig into it, though. I like this next one, too. Okay. From Ellie Kate. How do you feel the Valkyries and the witches represent different or similar aspects of womanhood as portrayed in romance? Either things that are frequently seen in the genre or things that are often absent. And I am so excited about this question. Yeah, it's because a great question. I've been thinking a lot about witches, largely because, I mean, we just did Mariketta and Bowen's book. Um, and witches then sort of disappear, right, for a while. Because yeah. Sabine is a sorceress, which I think is a right. different thing. And mm-hmm. then they come back when, we intru- when we're introduced much later in the series to the Moriore and we meet. No, Caro's a witch. Oh, Caro's a, ri- a witch. You're right. And that's yeah. your book. So, yeah, that's my girl. So we do get Caro coming back. So I think we talked a lot about the Valkyries and how we feel like the Valkyries represent the sort of um, – like an an honesty and an authenticity to women um, and desire. They sort of represent women's desire um, in a positive way. They they flip the script on women and desire and and um and what what we might have often seen in romance represented as the greedy other woman is now um, baked into the identity of these incredible heroines. And I I we've talked over and over again about how we love that Cressley does that. So I feel like we sort of We've done the Valkyries, but can I add something, though? Because I think that they also, I don't think you are, and I often use the word, like, unlikable heroines. Mm. But I I do think in terms, like, some of the characteristics that the Valkyries have, some readers would, like, tag that, right? So they're stubborn. They're self-willed. They don't want to put up with your bullshit. They... Um, have very little tolerance for like, you know, kind of anything that's not what they want. Um, They're acquisitive. They yes. like money and right. power. And um, like Regan especially is like a pain in the ass, right? Like she's a trickster. She's poking, poking at people all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I do. So I do think the Valkyries too um, are like a, like really kind of traffic, taking some of the things that get, labeled as unlikable heroines and instead turn them into strengths which maybe they always are maybe that's like the secret thing she's up to and i uh, yeah i think 
may and I think this is true. I hate the term unlikable heroine a lot. Um yeah. because I think it's coded. I think it's deeply coded and when we say it we're really saying something else entirely and usually it's something about women and womanhood and femininity and patriarchy um because i think what what's fascinating about the valkyries is they're um they are unapologetic and oh yeah and unrepentant and i think those two things are things that you know women could be more of yeah these days absolutely i just turned 40 this week you guys and i'm like i've shed some fucks yeah (laughs) Wait till I I'm 45. Like Just I wait. peeled them. They peeled away like an onion. <laughs> it's amazing, actually. It's kind of great. Um, and so the witches. What about the witches? Yeah. I mean, for me, the witches are about working women. They're yeah. about women who have immense skill. They know the value of their skill and their worth, and and the worth of their work, and they are. Again, unrepentant, un, unapologetic about demanding to be paid. Yes. I would add that I think they're about what we might, again, like classically call women's intuition. Right. I think that what the witches often do is like they're really tuned into like how things like feel right like whether or not something like feels right or what right. And I, I think that a lot of what the witches also represent is like i don't know like a, a woman's way of knowing maybe but interestingly and i've been thinking about this actually since the conversation with adriana about um Marichetta, is both the witches and the valkyries are the only immortals i'm pausing because i'm pretty sure they're the only immortals but i'm pretty sure they are the only immortals who use the earth like for their power um, or use nature for their power, right? Like the Valkyries derive all their power from light, like lightning, and their energy mm-hmm. comes from lightning. Um, and they're uh, the the witches. I mean, we see Marikata be healed constantly by the earth, right? Right. And so that sort of is a it, that is a sort of a long standing. It's an ancient way of sort of characterizing female energy right yeah. as being earthly mm-hmm. yeah absolutely the mother the mother piece the sort of connect the deep connection to the to the earth as being something that is at the core of womanhood um is something that cressley i think toys with here mm-hmm. yeah i would agree i i'm i like one of the things I'm just really curious about as we have this conversation is whether or not as um, I think society becomes like better at thinking about about people who are transgender, if um, like there'll ever be a book in the future where um, I don't know, like, right, like it like I sometimes is it gender nor like is it gender essentialism like right like there's always a question for me too like when you have witches are just valkyries and or women are witches and valkyries and like a are men although there are male like a and like Lachlan or women in Lachlan's clan right like I do wonder if some of that like gender essentialism will ever like break down now that we as a society think about gender so differently 
and that's not a that's not a critique i mean these books where we are especially are you know they're of a, of a time like we're just in a different place our understanding of gender is like evolving so fast mm-hmm. that yeah i just I, I it's just like a, a thing i'm curious about well and i do think as the books progress and as the series progresses and time of course progressed as the series progressed um, now you start to see characters who have their their um, their match their their match of the opposite gender, right? So um, when you think about Sweet Ruin, right? Like Rune, we're gonna we're gonna get to it, but Rune is a dark fae, so he's half demon, half fairy, um, and he is um, and and he, there is only he is the only one that really anybody has seen in in ages and ages. But he has there is another one, and that is yeah. a woman, right? Um, and I'm I, you know what's really interesting is I wonder if she'd written that book in 2006 if that would have been the case. Sure, sure. So well, you know, and I think it leads into like one of the other questions, which is. Um, there's a question that's like now that that's what we're talking about seems related, which mm-hmm. is it was from I think I'm not sure I I think I might have lost the person who wrote it, but um, it said, can we talk about the nymphs for a minute? They seem to be written solely as a plot device for showing the hero oh. who's been promiscuous in the past. Are there male nymphs um, who have the single Valkyries and witches been banging this whole time? <laughs> and I was like, I love that question, <laughs> and I will say I I um you were. I think there's a lot of nymphs in Sweet Ruin, but in the um, Warlord Wants Forever, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will soon, I was listening to it and it's like kind of jarring that um, uh, Miss keeps calling them hookers, like yeah. flat out, like that's calls them hookers. Days of, that's yeah. A, you know, 2006. Um, yeah. No. And that I'm, I want a nymph book. Dally, who is the sort of head nymph of one of the nymph coveys um, comes back again and again and again through the like last couple of books Um, and I think I have to I think the reason why she is such a valuable piece of Sweet Ruin's plot is because Cressley sort of laying the groundwork for potentially her to um, for her to have her own book there's actually uh, and again we'll get to it when we talk about the book but there are some moments in the text that are flags for readers that say like that suggest that Dolly has like a whole um I think the nymphs yes I have uh, certainly it's problematic when we sort of talk about the nymphs as like just there for heroes to have banged in the past yeah. <laughs> um but I do think that as the series progresses, nymphs become sort of a repre- representative of sexual, of sexual sort of agency. Yeah, um, I agree. They are, they are into they are, they're sort of polyamorous in the sense of you know having multiple partners, multiple gen, you know all genders. Um, they lack judgment in terms of um, there's there's just no situation where a nymph isn't comfortable in her sexuality but no we haven't seen male nymph i don't think readers no if you have seen one and we're missing it please let us know um we don't we never see an incubi right and a succubi is a woman and an incubi no that's not the true incubi are the ones that get killed in yeah the mariquetta blows up so right? they're men an yeah. incubi is male i think yeah. i don't know now we're down a rabbit hole i'm not a paranormal reader <laughs> 
believe yeah. it or well, not. But I do. I think it's a. I do think it's an interesting question, and I feel like um, one of the things I keep thinking about is um, the reckoners are like clearly yes. like Sorry. terrible. Right? Incubies are male, and succubies okay. are female. Right. Um, we do see incubi, but only as monsters. Right. Right. And tortured, right? Like they get blown up. They've been, it's been a whole however long. They've been so miserable in that cave that Mariquetta gets trapped in. The single Valkyries and witches have been banging demons all this time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And whoever they want. And probably, probably shifters, too. like werewolves too, right? Or like yeah, a too. Like, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think that's the thing is like they can bang whoever they want. Yeah, sure. Because sometimes people, unlike, now it's interesting, there are prohibitions like on demons can't sleep with humans because they'd never survive the claiming or whatever right so there are some really interesting sexual politics that i think get really uncovered but one thing i think about this nymph question and the idea that there'd be a nymph heroine later on is the reckoners for like books are just like terrible terrible like evil people like right they they're the ones that um in Shadow's claim, um, Trahan goes after and gives Bettina, like, the bag of their heads because they've tortured her. Mm-hmm. But then, like, in Dark Sky, um, Thronos is a reckoner. And so, and he gets sort of redeemed once he realizes what his people have been up to. So, it's not out of bounds to imagine she would take a sort of looked down upon species of the lore and then elevate them into, like, the main stage. Well, arguably, it'd be, it would be really great. I mean... A couple of these books do the human um, immortal pairing or at least the like unaware of the lore and you yeah. know, immortal pairing. And um, those conversations do sort of they do feel the the books feel like they're about class. Um, yeah. A nymph book feels like it would be about class. And I mean, I'd yeah. love to see I'd love to see Gressley do that. Me too. Um, I also think that there is an entire there. It is entirely possible that she ends up writing a nymph book without ever even discussing the fact that nymphs are, you know, potentially looked down upon because, you know, nymphs yeah. are that is their that is the nature of their being. Right. Right. I think the question is, you know, how do you how do you reconcile a nymph as a fated partner um, in a in a you know two partner relationship when the nature of the nymphs being has already been coded into the text as being one of promiscuity yeah and that's without judgment i mean promiscuity in the purest sense of the word right well and here's what i would say like i also think it there's a lot of really interesting questions to dig into about how women treat each other right like why would the Valkyries and the witches who are arguably like super powerful need to like have take cheap, take cheap shots at the nymphs, right? Like what is the, what are the ways in which women compete with each other even when they don't have to? Mm-hmm. And that's just on my mind because of my day in the seventh grade. <laughs> oh, Jen had a bad day in the seventh grade. That's okay. Mean girls exist. They do. It's okay. Um, uh, let's see. Let's talk about side characters. So Shadowmaster13 asked us which side character story do we want the most? And she qualifies or he qualifies, they qualify by side character 
I mean a background character, not an obvious one like Nyx or Fury. Um, Because obviously, like, we're all very excited about the Nyx book. So, yeah. Um, Is it Noah? What's her name? No, I'm like terrible with names. The woman who runs the... Loa. Loa. I'm like, okay. The voodoo priestess. The voodoo... Yeah, that's my answer. The voodoo priestess. Well, although I didn't know her name. So clearly sure yeah. has a story. Because yes. when she comes in... So we haven't gotten to Loa yet. She hasn't... She doesn't exist yet in the series. Um, right. But as once far as we've read. she starts to exist, it seems pretty... Like, Cressley get in, gets into her pretty quickly. And then we start... She starts dropping clues about, like what's under the shop and how she knows the lore and who she might be and what ultimately what species she might be. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested in a, a I, I, I really like characters who are like knowledgeable, but somehow like power brokers on the outside. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm really interested in, in, in general in like stories where someone's like moving all the chess pieces from, you know what look from the sideline somehow is like in like i don't know a player without being like on the main stage i'm i think those are always really interesting stories so i really like to shazar the um storm he's a storm <laughs> demon he's like a roguish rakish pirate and i love him but i don't know that i want his book um i want to know he's happy like i'd love yeah. for him and dolly the the nymph covey owner um to like have a wonderful like happily like i'd like them to have a christmas novella <laughs> yes. it's like yes. really just a happy joyful mating of two delightful people i don't know that they're right for an i a full iad book but i'll tell you who i do like these days and that is rock the smoke oh demon yes from um <laughs> What dark desires at night's edge or <laughs> dark needs at night's edge no that's dark Venus. desires after dusk dark desire thank you oh my god we're so bad at this you guys um dark desires after dusk which is kate and holly's book which uh um is coming very soon he's um kate's friend and he's a smoke demon and it's sort of dropped on the side so- like it's a throwaway moment where it's revealed that smoke demons, when they have sex with women, <laughs> um, have a they have to they basically like create a contract with each other where the woman can then, for a period of time after they have sex, summon him back at any oh, yeah. time. And that's pretty awesome. And I would yeah. love to see what Cressley does with that. Yeah, I agree. I think some of those demon friends seem like they I I more demons. I love the demons. I also I mean like I love the demons a lot. I want to see Cressley like really like lean into horns. Which brings us to Kate Claiborne. <laughs> Kate question. Claiborne's I was like, we gotta answer Kate's question. It's so specific. So you've all heard now, darling, wonderful, sweet, gentle Kate. And how we are like slowly but surely um just corrupting her <laughs> well i am i'm slowly but surely corrupting her by banking making her read a lot of books that have orgies in them um, i so for real i want to like i have like a whole plan sarah i want to get her phone number mm-hmm. and then i want to change my ringtone to her saying i just wrote down oh it's a nun <laughs> <laughs> and then every time she texted me that's what it would say about to be a nun yeah yeah awesome 
Um, so Kate asks, for each of you, what is the most sexy and least sexy physical immortal quality for you? Claws, horns, what I think of as the wolf hologram, pointed ears, fangs. Please prepare for me to call in and not feel at all good about <laughs> horns. So I'm going to go first okay. and say horns are – I'm super into horns. Like I think they are – such a fun, sexy, like, addition <laughs> to the lore. Okay. Uh, here's what I would like us to do, though. Like, we haven't done a demon episode either yet. No, I know. But I want you to, like, draw for me, like, how big you think they are. Because I feel like this is where I'm struggling. Like, are we talking, like, the rams? No. Or, like, I don't think they curl. I, they do, though, because when they well, get. some of them do curl. Because they straighten when they get. Yes. Yeah. If you can see my face right now, I'm like making very funny. No, she's making hand motions. Yes. So here's the thing. I don't think we're talking about like super curly like rams. Right. Sure. Uh, like in general. Because they can all wear hats. Right. Yeah. Like, no, so that's right. We're not talking about like massive horns. Sure. In an everyday moment. But here's what I love. I love. And again, we haven't done a demon. Uh, We haven't done a demon book yet. So, you know. Um, wait for it. Wait for it. Because we are. We're going to get horny. We're gonna talk horns <laughs> when we when when it comes time. But I love that they are incredibly sensitive. I think over the course of the book, Cressley uses that sensitivity both in a sexy manner and also in other manners that just like I'm I'm looking at Jen like. Jen knows that, like, my very favorite scene in the entire series relates to horns, and it's not a sex scene. (laughs) Those of you who've read the whole series can probably guess what that scene is. It is. It's amazing. It's an incredible scene. Um, But I also, like, I like the fact that, like, there's there's such a, like, clearly outward manifestation of a hero's, like, feelings and emotions. Yes. That's what I was going to say. That's what I like about it, too. I feel like women are often the ones that are accused of, like, having their emotions show on their face they're not very good at like right and i feel like i kind of dig that like demons have this tell yep right in a way that's coded usually to women yeah i also i mean like and this is the part where it's an explicit podcast so i can say this um i love that like women can hold on to them and like move them and yeah direct, oh yeah direct like, the demon to where like a she steering wheel him. um and I, I I have said this in text and I've said this publicly, like I want more demon books because I want Cressley to like push the boundaries of these horns even more. And like, OK, so I'm not talking about like penetrative sex, but like I'm talking about like I feel like I feel like I'm totally fine with these horns being more involved in the moment. There you go. Okay. But that's so my answer is horns. Sorry, Kate, but you knew yeah. it. <laughs> I th- I think that might be my answer too, is that I like the horns because it's more than teeth. Inter- <sighs> oh, can I I feel like the easier one to answer me is the one I don't like. And I will say I don't like claws. Yeah. And I feel like every time they describe like a like I, I feel like it's kind of funny because this is the first time we're seeing each other. And Sarah's like, oh, you're like really doing it. The first every time she describes a male like ripping off his claws to like finger her. Oh, yeah. They I'm like bite their claws off. Yes, all the time. And I'm like, and I'm like, you know, that's kind of gross. A and like B, I don't think it I still think it would be a little raggedy and a little uncomfortable. 
Well, they're immortal. So I they guess. can take it. I guess. But I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like that's a lot for me. So I, I and it, it's just like a whole unnecessary step. I don't know. that. So the claw thing never, it, that yeah, never works for me. Claws are tricky. Claws are tricky. It's interesting though, because do you feel that way about the women, like Valkyrie claws as well? Or just the, like, no. No, I think it's it's really when men it's are male claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, well, and Valkyrie claws are often described as being, you know, it's just like sexy, right? Like she scraped up my back or whatever, but not that she actually had to like remove them before we had sex, or else she'd like rip my cock off. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> mean hello. I'm sorry. I'm like, no, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. So um, I would say the for wolf me. hologram. Might be weird for me. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of with you. I think my least my my least thing is claws also. Um, but frankly, I'm sort of fine with it all. The wolf hologram. Yeah, sure. You know, I, the werewolves are not my, you know, I, I the werewolves are fine. Yeah. For me, like, werewolves are not, they're not the, like, the money for me. I think for you and I think for me, too, it's the demon. So maybe that's it, too. Like, you, I mean, I like a vampire thing. also. I'll say that. Yeah. Although I do, I do feel like a wolf would be better to like cuddle with. Yeah. Well, there's another question on here that's like, oh, it's of course it is Sierra. Which is the <laughs> best hero for you personally? Yeah. Um, and I think from like, and I don't know if she means that as like a which is the best written hero for us personally, or or you know the like the hero one that we rings your bell, you know, right? Spend the rest of our lives with. So I'm gonna go with with B, and I would say. Um, <laughs> Well, so probably like me, honest to God, like living at home in my apartment in Brooklyn, like it's probably one of the Roth brothers. Like, it, sure. you know, I mean, it's like Sebastian's going to sit around and read books with yeah, us. It's Sebastian. Sebastian's <laughs> going to be like, oh, you have a podcast really tonight. nice book gifts for us. Tell Jen I said hi. Basically, <laughs> it's possible I'm married to Sebastian, but like without the vampiring, um, you know, the, you know, but I think, uh. I I get I like those those uh those like hey they're fine those guys are fine but I don't want to you know no they're mm-hmm. just not too you know, volatile someone I, else is really into like hey and that's awesome yeah. congratulations yeah. you guys get it yeah oh yeah totally I think that's a different question though like sort of the I mean because in real life none of these. <laughs> Right? Like, it's just like, you guys, my husband's like the nicest man in the universe, right? (laughs) Um, So it's not, like, I feel like what you're looking for in a romance hero, like, I don't know, if I could figure that out, I'd probably be a gazillionaire because I'd be, I don't know what I'd be doing with it, but I'd have some sort of special knowledge of everything. But I think I've been thinking a lot about it because I do feel like I usually like heroines, but... um, I, I mean, mostly when I think about the books, I think about the heroines. But one of the things I think is really interesting about like Malcolm or Lothair is like the illusion of taming the untamable man. Mm. Right? That's the whole ball game. Right there. Bam. And same with Rune, right? Oh, yeah, like Rune. you're just like and literally. Cian, yes. Who's literally so, the devil. Literally yes. the devil. And and yet you are going to. You know, there. That's I think the real money is. So for me, I, I Lothair was 
I've reread a couple times and Malcolm. So I guess I'd say those two, but I think they're different. Like Lothair like knows his power. And I think for Malcolm, it's a slightly different thing, which it's more like a My Fair Lady type of business where I'm going to like, like what Caro does is like take this like lump of demon flesh and turn him into a man. Right? Like he, he's, he doesn't even speak words. He's all instinct. He's pure id. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I can't wait to get to Malcolm and Carol because I both love that book and, like, don't get that. Yeah. The, like, adoration of the Malcolm character. So, because um, it's just not my, that's not yeah. my jam. Um, but Caro is the reason I love that Caro is an amazing character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jenny Nordbeck wants to know our fantasy cast for IED, but we did that on Twitter one day and it was hilarious. And I will just link to it in the show notes. Although, yeah. Yeah. We're going to go down that rabbit hole and it's like crazy town. It's true. It's true. I mean, I just want them. Oh, well, so here's my my husband who listens to the show had a question <laughs> and it sort of piggybacks on Jenny's Jenny's question. So do you think these books could be made into a movie? Like, do you think they could be made into like, so his argument is you and Jen have gotten together. You're doing, <laughs> you've basically committed a year of your life and frankly, <laughs> listeners, a year of your lives to, <laughs> to listening, yeah. to talking about this series. Is it possible, like, is it possible for a film to be made of this series or a maybe a franchise to be made of this series and actually have it? work meaning yeah. still be able like of course it could be made and be made badly let's set that aside but like right actually could a film actually be made of this book of these books and and also telegraph all of the the stuff that we're talking about when we talk about them yeah so okay it's such an so my sister-in-law is a writer like a not a novelist uh she writes for tv and she writes plays and She's always telling me like, oh, my God, if you read something that you think would be an amazing TV show. And I, I don't really watch TV, so I'm always like, I don't know what that means. Um, I think it could be a mini series, I think. Right. Like kind of like Game of Thrones, mm. um, because I do think like the world building is so rich. And I think you would have to do something different where like like season one would have to be like. I don't know, like several books because they happen concurrently. Yeah. It's like the Talisman High series and then like the. Right. And then like the Torture Island. <laughs> right. As a series. And and then you're like watching couples kind of like because when I think about how TV works and the reason I don't like it is because it's like it takes 13 episodes for these motherfuckers to finally kiss. <laughs> and I feel like. <laughs> And let's be frank, no IED fan wants to have to wait 13 episodes. No, but I think that if you then were like layering like characters who are, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, it's like a really interesting question. I, I think there's a, like a, a lot of really interesting possibilities, but I think it would be like adaptation is such an interesting thing to me. And I, I, I sometimes teach about adaptation. Like we look at like one thing and then looked how it changed. And, you know, when you think about how much you have to take out of a book, right, to make a movie, I don't I, I don't see it being a movie. I just think there's too much. I think it could be a miniseries. Maybe. I agree. 
I mean, I do think that you could do sort of a series, a similar thing where like there's a series about the talisman high. That would be really fun, actually. Um, But the reality is that like really delving deep into like what we've talked about in terms of um, feminism and identity and sexual, you know, sexual confidence and you know, modernity and age, like these kind of big picture things. I just, I don't know how it translates. Well, and I'm going to say something that makes me sad, but I think it's sort of true. Like, okay, well, there's been 800 fucking movies about the Avengers, but they're all men. And I have yet to see the superhero series, right, where all of the most main interesting characters are women. I don't, I'm sad that our society is like, meh, <laughs> right? right? Or like, or they would turn it around. Like, I, I mean, or I'd be furious. Like, I'd really worry about that. Like, I'm furious because you've made these all the heroes and the women just like simper or whatever. Like, right? I could, I feel like I can see so many ways it could go wrong. It's harder for me to see the way in which it would go right. Yeah, but you know what I would love? I would love a like Buffy the Vampire Slayer style Valkyrie oh. show. Yes. Where it's just like all the fucking Valkyries in Val Hall. Yes. Just playing video games and then going out to like hunt ghouls. <laughs> and that's, I think, how it could work, right? Yeah. You Is, like it's focus not really on like the one, romance, right? You focus on one of the one of the factions and you tell the story. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're being too, maybe. Maybe we're wrong. Like Game of Thrones seems to work even better in on film than it does in the books. Yeah. Well, for some people. Those Game of Thrones books, yeah, they were popular, but they were nothing before this. Like Yeah. They were not what they are. There's so much sexual violence in Game of Thrones. Well, I know, but I mean like can't we just have sex and also violence in our IAD store? <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> is that too much to ask it feels like it we don't want Dad. sexual violence we want sexual and violence <laughs> yeah right sure i gotcha um let's do some of these other ones yeah well there's some interesting ones at the bottom like we're looking at our spreadsheet these like just romance and reading questions like you want to like answer some of those you pick one all right so here's a really interesting question which is can you discuss some of jen and sarah's favorite romance rules i read a couple recently that broke them or skated right to the edge and it makes me mad <laughs> same same whoever All, you same. are <laughs> also cressley is very trustworthy and never breaks them no, and she's so oh. good i mean that's part of why we love her right like she's she's a real deal yeah so for me there is I mean, obviously, H-E-A or get the fuck out. But I don't really even really worry about that. For our fans who don't know what you just said. It's happily ever after, right? Or like that's all that really matters in romance. It's the ultimate romance rule, right? Um, if you're going to invest 400 pages in, a char- in two characters at the end, you have to believe that they're going to be happily ever after. Now, what's funny about this is I've actually written a bunch of, like, smart-ass romance rules on Twitter. It's like a whole, like, running thread I have that I can link to. But I would say for me, the rule, like, the ultimate rule after Happily Ever After is I, I don't read books with cliffhangers. I um I just don't like it. I, I, it, I feel like it really violates the HEA rule, actually. I'm like, if I come to the end of the book, they should be happy together. And so I don't read books with cliffhangers and 
only once ever was I so invested in the characters that I read the second book. I I just quit. I'm like, yeah, I guess I, I bet that all worked out for you. <laughs> but I won't read it. I won't I won't commit more dollars to it. I get really outraged by it. Yeah, I agree. I don't love a cliffhanger. I don't read them. Um, my friends who also write romances and do write romances with cliffhangers tend to say to me like ahead of time, hey, I'm putting this book out. Don't get it. I'll tell you when yeah. the whole series is out. And then I am a good friend and I buy the whole series and I read it all the way through and it's great. But um, I don't like to have to wait for the happily ever after. Like that's not like it for me, a cliffhanger runs counter to happily ever after the happily ever after rule. Right. Especially when you're like us. I mean, Jen and I read so fast. We read a book a day. So the idea that like we might have to wait for 365 books before the next (laughs) next one comes out, that's not sustainable. So no. Um, You know, I don't – I feel like this is going to surprise people. But like I don't have a whole lot of romance rules. I have rules that I personally – follow when I write yeah. um, you know like for me the heroine always has to be proactive for me like the um, you know the books that I love the most tend to have like really fearless writing and what I mean by that is like writers it's clear that the author has like had a moment where they've thought like well this is a crazy turn that the plot could take or this is a wild ride that these characters could go on and they had the option of pulling their punch and maybe not sending them on that crazy journey or like doing that wild wacky thing and they choose to do it anyway and the story is better for it so like all those things I think make for better romances like I actually don't read a ton of like quiet small town gentle you know cinnamon what we refer to as cinnamon roll heroes like I I just they're not they're not my thing because I like the sort of wildness of romance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate that in like right. they can be done very well. So I, I wish I had a better one. My only one is Happily Ever After. Like they have to it has to happen. Right. It has to happen. I have to believe it. And that's it. Yeah. I I guess I would say my when I make my romance rules, I'm I'm as a critic, I'm very interested in like the like what I feel are like the boundaries of the genre. Like right where are we where are writers like pushing up against something that's interesting to me? What does that mean? Explain can you give me an example of another one of these rules? Let me think about one that I've written. I should have looked them all up. Okay, one okay, like so I talk a lot about groveling because I like it. So most romances have a low moment, right? Which is where you as the reader and the characters think it's not gonna work out. Right? Like they've hit some sort of wall and nobody is sure. You the reader, they the characters are not sure they're gonna like break through to the other side. And often it is because one of the characters has done something that's really has made a terrible mistake. Yes, right. They've hurt they've hurt the person they're supposed to love. And so you know and that's this is usually w- the point where you cry in a romance yeah, novel. Yeah. Right, right. And and I think we need I think romance needs to have that because we need to really believe that these characters know how to like persevere through a hard time. If there's no low moment then you're not well what happens when there is one right every relationship runs into these these walls right and right you need to see them as characters like figure it out together or work through it right 
So I feel like, okay, there's like a, a th- so we've talked a lot about the HEA, but I think that's like a really essential part of every book too. This belief that you, the reader, have seen that they really are going to make it. Right. And they're going to make it because they fought through it together, right? Exactly. And if you're just reading about two people who are decent people who are making a go of it in a decent town, in a decent life, and they're going to, you know, be happy, then, you know, why don't you just go talk to some of your nice friends? Instead of reading this book. Right. I mean, and and exactly. And even those people are going to come into a crisis, right? You're going to disappoint each other, maybe something from the outside is going to happen. So for me as a reader, like one of the rules I made up was about like groveling, but it's, it's really not about groveling. And like, I think the way I word it is, it's like, it has to be proportional, right? Like if, if the, the fuck up is really big, right? And this was based on one of your books, one of my favorites of your books, Day of the Duchess. If the fuck up is really big. And it was. Yeah. Then the act of atonement has to be big too. And I don't mean like flashy, but I mean profound. Like you really have to believe that that character like has changed, right? Like I've, I've done wrong and I regret it and I want to change and be better for this person I'm in a relationship with right and so I feel like when I talk about like the the rules it's like me trying to figure out like what does a romance really need in order to be satisfying right Mm-hmm. And I th- and I think that's something as a reader, I'm because I'm always interrogating, like, why does this romance work and why does this one not work and what makes this, you know, like sort of pleasing or right. And I and I think that that's what like my rules are about or like trying to figure out like what is like almost like a blueprint, right? Like what is the really good romance have to have? And I don't you know, I don't think there's an answer, but I think that there's a lot of similarities, so I'm going to, we're going to do a couple more. We're going to do, because I want to do Sierra's other one. Sierra, thank you for being a loyal listener and also <laughs> playing our game and asking us questions. Because um, Sierra's other question, Sierra Simone, um, about romance in general, what does it mean to love books that aren't perfect? And is it okay to have problematic fl- faves? And my answer to that is unabashedly yes. Oh, absolutely. Can absolutely have problematic faves. Um, The work is to acknowledge their... Yes, that is a problem. Problematicism. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, You know, like to... The work is to say, like, I appreciate that this is not an okay thing to be happening in the real world. But I am... I'm putting... I'm setting that aside and and I'm going to love this book anyway. Yeah. I mean, my comfort read, my the, the one that I mentioned, like it was written in the early 90s. There are huge problems with it. Um, and still, I love it. Um, and I think anytime we say to people like, you can't love that book because of whatever, right? Like you can't love a hunger like no other because the first hundred pages are Sebastian being a asshole like Lachlan or I'm sorry Lock right Sebastian's busy raising, reading books in his castle alone um, <laughs> you you can't like a hunger like no other because Lachlan um is you know an alpha hole for the first hundred pages like that's that's ridiculous there are value there's obviously we're doing a whole podcast about this series like that book's great and the work is to acknowledge it yeah, and I think there's so many ways in which we can talk about that. Like one of my favorite 
like phrases is um your kink is not my kink Mm-hmm. And I think it like really admits because there there are like books that Sarah has loved that I was like that is that's just not for me, and I think I I one of the things I feel like I've really learned is when it's just not for me, it's okay to phrase that as it's not for me, rather than like I think this author or this book is garbage. Um, I I and you know as a reviewer, I feel like there's some really interesting boundaries. Like I've I have written some very strong negative reviews in my life, but I think my focus is like this book is a problem, almost always for the way it sets up, it sets us up to sort of accept the patriarchy as right and good, <laughs> right? It sells us something I think it shouldn't be selling. Or potentially like white supremacy. Like I feel like those are the two things that will really like kind of trigger that in me. Oh, wait, that's a rule. No Nazis. Yeah, no, there's a rule. No Nazis. And and no, for me, I and I, I mean, I feel like I'm going to lose listeners, but OK, like it can't be pro-Confederate either. No, no. I right? mean, none of those. No, obviously. No, it's, it can't. Right. No. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No white and supremacists. I, no Nazis. No genocidal yeah you know no people who purport genocide like these are not heroic these are not heroic figures yeah and i yeah like that that question of like what i mean it's i think it's interesting we use the words hero and heroine because i think we're really saying something about how people deserve to be the hero and heroines of their own life but also that like ultimately people should strive to to be good or to make themselves better or to work in a way that's like towards something rather than to dismantle something. And I also think like some books, every book is not perfect. I mean, that no, the suggestion that there is like a romance novel that is, is perfect and, and is sort of, it's impossible. Right. So and also, romances are iterative on a time, always. They are all written no always. matter where, no matter what the topic of the romance is, no matter what the time period of the romance is, it is always iterating on the current time when it is written. Um, and so, like, our books are going to be problematic in 20 years. Sure. Authors. Right. Like, you can be the most... You can you can be dotting every I, crossing every T, getting every sensitivity reader, and ultimate and you are doing the right thing by doing those things. Um, but ultimately, your book is going to be problematic eventually too, and it's still going to be somebody's favorite. And so, yeah. the 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 fact that I mean, I know Sierra, and I know that like the books that we love, that she loves, that are imperfect or are, are problematic, are books that like. She talks about a lot. You and I, Jen, talk about these books a lot when we love them. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the, the – I mean, like, honestly, you guys, like, part of the joy of doing this podcast and, like, having you all listen is – having you all listen is amazing. But, like, part of the joy of it is being able to talk to Jen about these books that and say, like, this part didn't work for me. Why didn't it work right. for me? And being able to noodle yeah. that over on air with you. Yeah. Well, and that's the part – yeah, like, it – no one would want to listen to us talk about non-problematic books, right? Or no. or books without like really like rich kind of worlds where there's like lots of things going on. And I, I feel like that's why I, I love IAD. And a lot of my a lot of my problematic favorites are ones that I think like are very personal. Like they're really um 
I don't know, like there's like a little shape in my soul that I'm trying to figure out, right? And then it's like that book is making me grapple with it, right? Or it's something I've tried to move past, but there's something still like comforting about it. Like some problematic books are books I like I grandfathered in, like I read them when I was younger before I knew any better and I loved it then. And so even though now I know it's wrong, I that I'm still 25 year old Jen or 30 year old Jen who loved that. And it's a little bit of my past that I get to revisit. Yeah. And there's look, I really honestly believe this, that romance novels are more personal to readers than other books are like in that yeah. they they really the whole idea i mean i can tell you as a romance writer like all i want is to just like pull you open and like reach in and like really fuss with your heart lothair style yeah <laughs> you know and, and like that's what i want and so and that's a real personal like i don't think there are that many people in other genres who want to do that work who really want to get emotional with you like i want you to be raw during my reads yeah and so that's fucking problematic like i'm i'm a sadist you guys right i want you to be broken yeah well and i i also think there's something though um there's something also really redeeming about broken people finding love and moving forward together because so many of us are broken in so many ways and Romance, the HEA, the promise of the HEA for the characters is a promise to us that we deserve love too. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I find so moving about romance. And that it can be ours. And that we deserve it. That we can have it. That if we're willing to work for it, that, you know, that, and, and that's what I find really, um, that's what I think is so awesome about romance. And then when I think about my problematic faves, it's often, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a little racist. It's like, you know, it's like things I didn't notice before. Like, oh, it's set in Chicago, but everybody's white. I mean, like often those are the things that it's like background stuff or um, a lot of times it's toxic masculinity. And I'm really trying to work out like, why am I attracted to these books where these men treat women this way? What am I working through? I think you're working through the same thing most of. Yeah. Well, all of us are right. Women, most women are working through. Yeah, I think here's what I would say, though, like, I think a problematic fave is only problematic if you can't admit that it's problematic, if that makes sense, right? Like, if I said, like, if anyone wanted to call in or, like, write in and write me a screed about why Immortals After Dark, like, is problematic, I would hope I could, like, hear that with, like, an open heart and probably be like, yeah, I've seen some of that, too, maybe, because... Right. Like we're all working through some things. I feel like it's when people are like, no, you're wrong. That that's when I don't know what to say. Right. If I'm like, but look at X, Y, Z. And they're just like, mm. yeah. Well, so we're going to save a lot of these questions for later in the uh, series, because there are a lot of questions about like favorites and the minutia of the lore that I think we're going to get to. But I do think um, I want to end on this one because I think it's fun. So if you could choose to be any <laughs> one of the um, factions of the lore. So you could be a Valkyrie, a werewolf, a witch, a demon, a fae. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There are so many. There's basically everything. You could be Mothman. 
<laughs> no, but any of the really big ones, which one would you be? And I guess why? And this is from B and her books. Thank you, B. Okay. You want, you want me to go first? Yeah. I feel like I have an answer. Okay, it's just go. bubbled up. Do it. Um, I think I want to be a Valkyrie and here's why. What a surprise. I know. <laughs> I am, I'm pretty lazy and I mostly read, but I am obsessed with like the idea that you could just be really strong. Like I think, you know what, like a really formative movie experience for me was Terminator 2 with Linda Hamilton. And I don't know if you remember this, but she, um, she's like ripped her arms are like, this was like the first time I'd ever seen a woman who had like biceps, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's so common, right? Like now it's like we have Angela Bassett. Like we still have these women who do that. And I remember thinking like I had never seen that before. And every time I read about a Valkyrie just kicking someone's ass, <laughs> right? And just knowing how to like, she, like, and the idea I think as a woman, like you'd never have to be afraid to go like walking at night in your neighborhood if you were a Valkyrie. Mm-mm. You could go trail running by yourself anytime you wanted. I think it's really about a woman who lives without fear. Oh, I love that answer. Um, I would definitely be a witch. Um, cause I just, I mean, I've always had a thing about witches, uh, you know, Practical Magic is a great movie. Oh, oh I love that movie. <laughs> I'm sure you're shocked. <laughs> um, no, but I, I would, you know what I love about the witches? I, I mean, I've talked about it a thousand times now. You guys are tired of hearing me talk about it, but like, you know, like I, <laughs> I want to get paid for my work. <laughs> I want to yeah. get paid what men get paid for my work. Um, I want to have an immense amount of power that I can use to smite my enemy. <laughs> yes. I don't want to like crush an enemy like physically. I want to ruin their lives. <laughs> and they would never know you were there. I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's so stealthy. No, that's what I want. And like truly, so when we get into the back end of the series and we meet the Morior, you're so all of these books are leading up to like what I really truly believe is like when Sarah is going to make a is going to really like peak as a podcaster because I cannot <laughs> wait for the Moriara to arrive because I have so many thoughts on them. But Elixta, the primordial witch, is tremendous character. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I just like that's I like basically like my uh, over my desk. I have like a what would Elixta do? <laughs> Sign. That's like, amazing. It's not true, but I'm going to put one up now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to make it. for. I'll have Kelly make you a pin. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so because she's so great. Like the witches are awesome. And I love that they're like constant. I love like in speaking of Loa, like I love in Loa's shop where like the witches marketing is like, yeah, how like all the all the hexes and everything that's put on all the mystical, the witch to chains and things. Um, are all sort of branded the House of Witches. There's a telephone number for the House of Witches. Yes. A very good like like menu of options of, of hexes and spells you can buy for them. And I just I find them really delightful. And um, and I yeah. I want more witch books, Cressley. Yeah. If you're listening, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've spent an hour and fifteen minutes <laughs> with us. You know, just listening to us yammer. Can I tell you something though about? about practical magic though like talking about like being is it a about scene Aiden re- Quinn being adorable god remember that scene where he like throws her on the bed <sighs> amazing 
I like remember I said I was a scene rereader. I think I've watched that scene a million times. <laughs> like it like I was on TV the other day and I was like, oh shit, am I about to watch that scene again? And I was like, still sexy. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Aiden Quinn, he like peaked. He had like three good movies. Well, he was on that TV show. Well, it, well no, he's with on on elementary. He's like the detective on he elementary. Is, is that he's good? Still, I haven't watched that. I was super into a female Watson. Sure. And it's Lucy Liu, who is... Yeah, she's amazing. All right. Yeah. Aiden Quinn. He's looking a little jowly, but I don't care because But so you'd let I. him throw you on the bed. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, I would. Yes, I would. I'm going to find that on YouTube. Show notes, everybody. They're going to be amazing. <laughs> um, this was so fun. I hope it was fun for you guys, too. Join us next week for our discussion of Dark Needs at Night's Edge. We're finally at the ghost portion of Monster Mash. Uh, (laughs) um, Naomi, the dancer, and Conrad, the deeply broken vampire, who, of course, scratches every itch I have. Oh, for me, too. Um, Bring me all the broken men. Please come back. We hope you had a great holiday. If you celebrated, we hope you're going to have a great New Year's. Um, And I'm really excited to spend 2019 with you guys and with Jen. Yes. Happy New Year to all of our Faded Mates listeners. Bye. Bye. I'm going to turn my light on. You guys were um, listeners. Jen and I are trying a new thing where we're FaceTiming at the same time. As Oh, look. Now it looks like I'm like underwater. I know. We're trying to figure it um, out. We're FaceTiming at the same time. So we can see each other's faces instead of just our dulcet tones. So I'm just going to turn a light on so Jen can see me. I'd have to call Darius in and be like, turn on the lights, honey. <laughs> I might. Maybe I'll text him. Well, that's why you have children, right? Because you, uh, yes, minions <laughs> to to just turn on the lights. I'll, yeah. I'm serious. I'm about to text him. I'm gonna be like, "Come in here, come in here." <laughs>